0: This sound recording is protected through international copyright, Dr. Cindy Mason and RadioAI.net. 2023, all rights reserved. Radio AI, the public resource for artificial intelligence literacy by the people who do AI. This episode of Radio AI has fewer bells and whistles than usual. I wanted to roll this episode out quickly because something's happening in the world. Something new has been released in the public. It's called ChatGPT. At the same time, there's an art AI system called DALI, DALI2, and there's many others have also been made available to all the public. The reason it's important to talk about this is because there are some remarkable things going on that have never happened before. One of them has to do with the fact that for the language model called ChatGPT, anyone can enter some English language narrative and ask the system to write about it. There have been more users signing up to use this system than any other app in the history of apps. A million people signed up, a million users signed up for accounts within a week. That is definitely something to talk about. While AI ethicists have tried to vet software before it's unleashed on the public, OpenAI has done exactly that with its AI natural language model called ChatGPT. New ways to use ChatGPT are spreading like wildfire and fast becoming part of the public consciousness. It has created a course curricula for AI, a business plan, and even code. While ChatGPT is causing a wave of excitement, there are also social implications. School teachers in New York City have banned their students from using it, and writers are worried their jobs are becoming obsolete. Even programmers wonder if writing code is still going to be needed. In this episode of Radio AI, we Talk with an AI language expert from MIT, Henry Lieberman, about some of the issues that people who make language models are grappling with. Henry says AI needs to make better mistakes because ultimately these models are in our human world. We need to be able to tolerate those mistakes. Listen in as we talk about the work behind ChatGPT and explore the language models known as GPT 2 and GPT 3. And by the way, GPT 4 will be here soon. You want to know what is a language model? We take a break from our lecture momentarily to describe A buzzword. GPT stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer. So it's a piece of software that uses deep learning techniques on human language, a lot of human language, to train itself. It takes a long time and a great deal of compute power. The amount of language it uses for training is enormous. The training takes place on these supercomputers that are located in places that have very cool weather, and the training takes place over a very long period of time. Him. but once it is finished then you have what is called a pre-trained model of the human language and that model can be used in many different ways by lots and lots of people and that's what gpt2 and gpt3 and gpt4 that's what those are they are models and they can be applied and embedded in many many different kinds of things so let's get started I was just taking a look at gpt2 versus gpt3 and the training involved in gpt3 was much more extensive that means it took longer and it took a lot more electricity but as you say it's pre you know it's pre-trained so you can actually hand it to people and they can use it a lot of people can use it apparently what gpt 2 didn't do was handle niche topics, like specialized topics very well. Um, and that's what they fixed, apparently, with GPT-3. Have you used any of these free-trained systems?
1: So, I have played a little bit. I'm not sure it was with GPT-3. Uh, there are a couple of other models that are similar, that, that I ha- some of them I have played with. And they're both, I would say they're both remarkable and they're frustrating. So, if you ask it a question, sometimes amazingly, it gets it right. But it's very unpredictable so you know it get it also gives a lot of sort of stupid answers hmm. and then that would be frustrating to a person you know so but GPT too well all of them the problem is when we talk to a person if i say if i start asking you a question about a certain subject right and like let's say i ask you about dogs different breeds of dogs and you answer the first three or four questions correctly you know and say hmm this is a person who really knows about dogs, and then you get the idea, yeah I could ask that uh, that person uh, a few more questions about dogs and they're likely to get it correct, but mm. these language models have the problem that you know you can it can answer the first thing correct, the second thing correct the third thing correct, and then you kind of get used to it being correct, but then the next time it does something absolutely ridiculous, and so it's hard to really understand what what they're good at and what they're not good at. I think that's the most frustrating thing with, uh, with, with some of the systems that we were working on with common sense. It also, it made mistakes. But one of the things is that it made very charming mistakes. It would make a mistake that like, you know, a four or five-year-old kid would make rather than just say something completely <laughs> off the wall. I think... Uh, I think an important direction for AI in general is to make better mistakes. I think people are more tolerant of mistakes that kind of make some sort of sense than they are at at mistakes that just seem completely crazy.
0: There's an interesting test that apparently is used in evaluating GPT-2 versus 3 um, this is part of what's called the Open AI uh, initiative, and there's this idea of a Turing machine, which people try to fool. Some people call it the Wizard of Oz yes. test. You know, you try to find out is it a person or a machine that's that's uttering a sentence. And these these folks with the Open AI project are claiming that GPT three makes it really difficult to distinguish between a person and a machine. So they train this. GPT-3 algorithm with 175 billion parameters versus the 13, I think 13 billion was used in GPT-2. And so what they're trying to show is that, hey, the more data, the better, but actually nobody really knows. And it was trained, I guess it was Microsoft was involved in this effort. They provided the horsepower. They gave, there was a hundred GPUs. This is a radio AI gig alert. We take a break from our lecture momentarily to describe a buzzword, GPU. We will return to the lecture momentarily. GPU stands for Graphical Processing Unit. It's a fast chip, super, super fast chip. GPUs are what gamers use. It used to be that gaming was the most CPU-intensive application out there, but that's not true anymore. GPUs are also what is used to build Bitcoin mining machines. I actually helped one of my neighbors build a couple of these in their back cottage. And man, did they put out heat. You, you can tell when, when somebody has one of these, your utility bill will go way up. You now know what a GPU is. We resume our lecture.
1: Yes. And it just turns out that there are some mathematical operations that are very similar to a uh, the kind of graphics processing that you do in games that are also useful in understanding natural language.
0: It's interesting you bring that up, Henry, because I think if you consider the intense computation that's involved behind these operations, well, first of all, think about how much compute power was needed to build the model GPT-3. It's a Microsoft supercomputer. It had, I, th- I think it had something like 10,000 GPUs 10,000 GPUs. I mean the little cottage that we worked in was was kind of uh, probably about the size of a studio and we really couldn't work on it in the summer. It just wasn't it was just impossible it, well in fact the utility bill was what was impossible. This makes me remember one of the tricks we used back at Livermore Lab when we had massive amounts of data that had to be processed 24/7. It was sensory data, so it wasn't quite the same kind of data, but nevertheless, it was computationally uh, intensive. And we would switch back and forth between representations of the language or representations of the data that were easy to perform fast operations and those that were helpful for people to understand. They're not the same thing. So if you have something that's that's a statistical operation or it's something that needs uh, vector operations and or matrix operations, people can look at that, but it, it doesn't jump out at them what it's going on. And so you really need to have these other representations that may not be as fast, but you still need to be able to explain what's going on to somebody. You still need to be able to debug it as a human being. So I, I think you had something like this in your natural language system, open mind, common sense, didn't you? I, th- I think you switched back Back and forth between fast operations for matrix operations, and then you could switch to another representation for interfacing with people.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something that GPT-3 is particularly good at.
0: You've been listening to a special podcast from Radio AI. On chat GPT, I encourage all of the listeners to go out on the net and Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever your favorite browser is. Type in OpenAI or type in chat GPT. You'll need to start an account, but I encourage you to start playing around with these tools. That's what they're there for. They're likely to be in our lives for a while and they may actually change our world. This has been Radio AI. Thank you. Stay tuned for more cool Radio AI podcasts. <laughs>